Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. talk to us tonight about avoid chronic offender syndrome avoid chronic offender syndrome i'm taking this last lesson just to kind of change the perspective from uh, the offend uh, the offended to the offender james 3 and verse number one this has been our springboard as i said my brethren be not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Again, the subject matter tonight is avoid chronic offender syndrome. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, we're here tonight, Jesus, again to center our lives around about your word. I pray, oh Lord Jesus, help us tonight open our understanding in our hearts. God, as you have helped us, Lord, through each week, Lord, of this series of We Offend All. God, learning and understanding, God, how we can, Lord, either take or leave offense. God, now, Lord, looking through the eyes of, Lord, the offender, if you will, God, how we can, Lord, somehow remove or help better ourselves in that aspect as well. God, give us understanding, I pray. Grant it, Lord, each and every one of us, Lord. Lord, and we'll praise you and glorify your name. God, for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray in the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We offend all. Now, as I said, the past, this is week number five, uh, maybe not directly, but it is week number five, and much of our concentration over the past five weeks has been on uh, the offended and maybe particularly the offense in general. But there is another variable in this formula that we've not concentrated on yet, or at least not that much, and that is the offender. So you, we have the offender, the, the, the offended, and the offense really in our formula, so to speak. And uh, the, the, nature, the nature of the offender can be this. An offender can be very vicious. The key words is can be can be very vicious. Sometimes offenders can purposefully offend someone. Now, I know none of us have never done that, particularly in our marriages. But sometimes there are offenders that purposely offend someone. Or there's other times that the offender may not even realize they have offended someone. And so, again, the passage in James that speaks that we all offend as I said I believe a few weeks ago it should not be a free get out of jail card that we offend all we don't need to assume the attitude or uh, the impression well I'm going to offend someone so I better just live life to the fullest and walk through life with unbridled speech and unbridled actions or maybe sometimes the idea Uh, that we can uh, hold on to maybe to justify whenever we are the offender. Well, what comes around goes around. Oh, I've heard it. So I better just take advantage of being the offender today because tomorrow I may be the offended. So I better drive the nail pretty deep today because I don't know how how long or how deep or how hard they're going to drive the nail maybe in me tomorrow. But uh, the nature of offense is this. In essence, offense can become a very vicious cycle cycle Uh, people get offended and then as a result of the offense or as a result of taking offense they have a propensity then to be an offender offended people have a tendency to be offenders because human nature is like this whenever we hurt we have a tendency whether it's voluntary or involuntary to want somebody else to hurt as well Uh, and there's a relief or a release as though it may seem for us and our pain if we can make someone else feel some pain. Honestly, 
If you're hurt or if you're offended or you got pain, if you can make somebody else feel pain, it somewhat releases or eases somewhat like your pain. I, can't, I cannot describe this or illustrate this any better than I remember as a young boy uh, being in, in school, elementary school, whatever school it was, and then back then you had, you had real recesses. You had one in the morning, one at lunchtime, one in the afternoon. Uh, that's not today, but you had real recesses. You had quite a bit of time to play, actually, and expend some energies. And uh, kids always were, were uh, boys in particular. Uh, they walked around like they, they owned the world and had their belt latched, you know, one better than you. And there'd be kicking and hitting and stuff going wrong. And that, the playground that we had, I remember as an elementary student, it was just so massive. It'd be impossible, really, for those teachers that are on duty to keep track of everything. And nor were they as stringent as they are today. You know, someone got kicked in the stomach. Well, someone else would just change and kick them back in the stomach. And I, w I was at a time or another in that group. And I, I will not forget, Brother Mason, how it would go. You know, a boy, whatever, just waylay you. And, and in that moment, you, 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 you became, whenever they's coming for, towards you, there's fear that's rising up in you. But once you've been hit, you've been hurt. And for that matter, you're a little bit upset. So what do you do? Well, being a kid, you arise and you start going after them. And you trade them a hit. And you know what? I felt better with my pain that I just had. I felt a whole lot better with my pain and my hurt, you know, with the blow that I got because there was a sense of release, it seemed, because I injured them until they started coming back and I felt the fear again and then, boom, and this could go on for however long until someone really, really, really got hurt. But you understand what I'm saying. Whenever you get hurt, you get injured, you get offended, you have seemingly, it's kind of weird, a sense of release of your pain and somewhat of your hurt if you can make somebody else hurt. And so that's though sometimes how we get in this vicious cycle of offending, taking offense, being offended, and then becoming an offender again. It can be a very vicious cycle. Uh, perhaps, and it might be a little extreme example of this type of cycle, but in the scripture, Absalom was offended because his sister Tamar was raped by his half-brother, Amnon. He was very displeased with that, very offended over the matter, and as a result, we read in Scripture approximately two years later that he had his brother Amnon, Absalom did now, the one that's offended, had his brother Amnon then killed by some of his servants. The offended became the offender. And I don't know if there was a release for him once that deed was done that felt like, man, you know, there's a little bit release of the pain and the remorse that I had over my sister being taken. But again, it goes back to, I think, what it was last week or the week before. My weeks are kind of jumbled. It goes back to the idea, though, of what are we seeking? Are we seeking uh, revenge? Are we seeking vengeance? Marriages are very good models for this vicious cycle. Marriages are tremendous models for this vicious cycle, getting caught in the cycle of offense. Hurt your spouse with some words, and they may respond like a wounded animal and lash out, wanting to hurt you in the same degree with some words, or perhaps to a greater degree with some words. And doesn't it just in the absolute, in just right in the moment, you almost feel like, yeah, I feel better about what they said concerning me until some time passes. You, know, you felt pretty good in the moment, but after you really had time to think, at that moment you just engaged mouth, but when you really had time to think, yeah, that wasn't a very good idea. The reality of this vicious cycle, it's not just confined, though, to marriage. For that matter, I believe it's a reason why there are some relationships that we have with other people that are so strained. Amen. Because we have this continuous cycle that goes on in that relationship of offending and then being offended. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The New Testament believers had a hard time with breaking being offenders. They had a hard time with breaking the cycle of being an offender. One reason why is because their Old Testament law permitted such type of activity. The Old Testament law permitted such behavior that the law allowed what? It was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot 
This is, I mean, it's right in Scripture, Leviticus, for a foot. A burning, for a burning. A wound, this is what it says, for a wound. A stripe, for a stripe. A breach, for a breach. In other words, if that happened to you, you just repay it in like manner. Amen. You've been offended? Or whatever took place, you have a right to offend. You have, they were giving them the right to offend. But in Proverbs 24 and verse 29, Sister McGee, and if, you could probably stay with me if you just keep your Bible open to Proverbs tonight. Maybe I should have listed just, you know, Proverbs 1 through 31. But Proverbs 24, there were quite a few in Proverbs. Though. Proverbs 24 and verse 29, Say not, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. In other words, he says, don't, don't say that. I know, I know. It's not saying, I will, do so to, I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. That's not like a separate sentence. This is a full thought. Don't say, I will render to the man according to his work. Don't say, I will do so to him as he has done to me. In other words, don't say you will do to them what you, you know. Well, I'll tell you what, if they said something bad about me, I'll just say something bad about them. Well, if they took my parking spot, I'm going to take theirs next service. I mean, honestly, that's how it goes. And this strikes a chord with all of us because surely as little children growing up, you know, from childhood to adulthood, we were taught that golden rule uh, in Sunday school classes and maybe even in our homes to do unto others as you had had them do unto you is usually how it's been uh, quoted or stated. In other words, treat people the way you want them to treat you. Don't necessarily treat them the way they are treating you or the way they have treated you, but treat them the way that you would like to be treated. Uh, Luke 6, 31 bears that out of the golden rule. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Now, uh, we have a problem in our society and nation today that I think has also skewed our understanding of being the offender. Uh, we, there was a lot of discussions that went down the road to men's conference, and uh, one of them was, and this is Constitution Week, so this is a good time uh, to bring this up, but the First Amendment to the United States Constitution says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And so in our society, the reason why I think they have a skewed idea about this idea of being able to be offenders is because they believe they have a governing right to offend. Now, this is just my personal opinion, okay? And that attitude for America can become an American flaw. And as I said going down the road the other day, in my opinion, the First Amendment is really a regulation against Congress more than it is an empowering of the people. However, when that empowerment happens whenever a governing body is limited. There's going to become power. But some have taken the right, as it's quoted, of a freedom of speech to mean their right to offend. The statement is, this is America. I can say whatever I want to say has happened in the environment of society, but sadly sometimes that's leaked into the church, in our personal relationships, in our marriages. And though that may be arguably true in many court systems across America today, let's just take a moment and just bathe that with some common sense. I have, I, I have a right. I don't have any stats uh, for this tonight, but I am convinced that we probably offend more with our words than we do our actions. James even said, if any man offend not in word, then he's a perfect man. He's a, he's a whole, mature, complete man if he offend not in word. And so with that being said tonight, I'm going to go through just six little pinpoints here this evening. Uh, some will be whistle stops, some I'll, I'll, I'll belabor the point just a little bit more. But I want to just go through a few little six, and this is not a conclusive list, so don't pin it up and say, well, this is it, okay? You're, you're, you can add A's and B's along there and add after I'm done, amen, with the six. But just some tips, if you will, to help us not becoming the chronic offender. All right? All right? Number one, 
Avoid talking too much. Ecclesiastes 5.3 in the King James Version, and I got a few other versions to read it from, but it won't be on the screen for you. I apologize. But in the King James, and I just want really the, the, the last phrase there, a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. In God's Word translation, it speaks like this. Careless speaking comes when there are too many words. The Bible and basic English version says it like this. So the voice of a foolish man comes with words in great number. Today's English version, I don't worry, I don't have 25, but we could. Uh, today's English version says, and the more you talk, the more likely you are to say something foolish. The context in which the setting of Scripture is set is in a context when where the preacher is speaking about people who make vows. He's talking about people who make vows. And he was speaking to people that were making vows unto the Lord rashly, and then not keeping the vows that they had made unto the Lord. But in essence, the, the real crux of the meaning of what's being said here, because I, I want to go beyond vows, all right, tonight. I just want to talk about language, talking too much. Basically, though, whenever you think about a vow that's made rashly and then not kept, the basic idea is this. When you do that, you're basically saying something you never truly meant. Amen. And so here's the application because often in retrospect when we look over our shoulders we say things mm -hmm. in honesty of spirit we really didn't mean. Now we meant it right in that moment when we said it. Glory, hallelujah, amen. Because if you ask him in that moment yeah, I, I, I believe yes, I meant everything I said until you again have time to think and you understand, you know what? And that's when the apologies come and then those words fly out your, your mouth and you say, you know, I really didn't mean what I said. So don't, don't, don't talk too much. The more you talk, the greater likelihood of saying something stupid. Let me just make it real simple. There'd be less chance for gossip if people kept their mouth shut more. Can I elaborate on do not talk too much? Don't talk too much about stuff you don't know anything about. Keep you from being the offender. The scripture followed up by verse number 6 in Ecclesiastes 5, and he says, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. What's he saying? Your mouth gets you in a bunch of trouble. Your mouth can cause you to sin. He says, so don't, don't suffer, suffer not your mouth to get your flesh to sin. Don't allow your mouth to get your, your flesh in trouble. Number two, if anybody's taking notes, speak words that build people up. And whenever I speak a positive notion, the negative is also true to keep you from being a chronic offender. Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 29 in the King James Version says it like this. It says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Everybody say edifying. Listen now. That it may minister grace unto the hearers. The Message Bible states it like this, very same verse. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. And I like the phraseology of this. Each word a gift. Each word a gift. God's Word translation states it like this. Don't say anything that would hurt another person. Instead, speak only what is good so that you can give help wherever it is needed. That way, what you say will help those who hear you. Speak words that build people up. There are several occurrences uh, throughout God's Word and Scripture and the Psalms and the Proverbs in particular that oftentimes tells us to guard our mouths. 
And a good rule to live by is even if it entered your mind, it don't have to come out your mouth. We say the vernacular is or the phraseology is, I almost gave them a piece of my mind. Our minds have expression through our mouths. And as one person once said, he said, if a rotten word is found in the mind, shut it off at the mouth. <laughs> Amen. Now notice, offenders, talking about offenders tonight, offenders that can't keep their mouth shut, listen, may have a deeper problem. Because the Bible admonishes us, as you know in Matthew 12, 34, that for out of the abundance, or if you will, the overflow, the surplus, the residue of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The overflow. Out of the huh, you got a superabundance of this, and since there's a superabundance of it, it's splurting out your mouth. So things that are coming out of your mouth is showing what you have abundance of in your heart. We're not just talking about a regular amount. We're talking about a surplus in your heart. So it could be telling something deeper if we're consistently offending with our mouth. Really, it could be we have a heart issue going on. Amen. And look what the scripture said. When he told them not no evil communication coming from their mouth, there in Ephesians 4, 29. But he told them, don't do that, but do this. He, he said, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Everyone again say edify. edify. The basic meaning of the word edify in the New Testament scripture is to build or construct, as it were, a house. In other words, our word should build people up rather than tear them down. Our words should be constructive more so than they are destructive. Amen. Sometimes, you know, in my opinion, you know, you could have said something else. You could have said something damaging. Uh, that is what you think they deserve. You know, sometimes we think, man, I could have said something else. I could have really just dug in deep and just put the, you know, put a thorn in their side with my words. I could have, you know, that's really what they deserve, but I didn't. Sometimes we get pride in, in what we didn't say. But you still got to tell somebody about it. You know the worst thing about pride? The, the, you know, if you want to treat pride the way it should be taught, if pride can't talk about itself, it has a real hard time. Amen. Man, I should have gave them exactly what they should have had coming to them. But look what the scripture said again. He said, whenever you, whenever you use good words and you're edifying, you're building up, you're constructive, and what's the purpose? That it may minister grace unto the hearers. I didn't say what I could have said, but I said something different. What is that? That's ministering grace. Because grace, of course, in its basic definition, is whenever you get what you don't deserve. They deserve something else, but you withheld that. They, they, you thought, you know, in reality, they deserve destructive words. They, they, des they deserved words that tore down, but I gave them some constructive words, and I built them up. You know what? You as a minister of grace. Amen. And the more that we find ourselves ministers of grace, the less that we'll find ourselves the offenders. Amen. In another aspect, this verse of Scripture and the verses of Scripture are referring to foul language or abusive language, but uh, our words do not have to be profane or vulgar, if you will, to be corrupt. They don't have to be, they don't have to be vulgar and they don't have to be foul or abusive in order to be corrupt. Someone said it, and I don't know how scientific it is, but they said that 90% of the friction of daily life is caused by the wrong tone of voice. And so with that in mind, number three, speak in normal, respectful, and loving tones. Good old Proverbs book, Sister McGee, Proverbs 15 and verse 1. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. It is absolutely true. And if you can practice that, it will bear out. As the, thing, the thing is putting the thing in practice. 
I know it's absolutely true. Sister McGee, it's been a couple weeks ago. I don't remember. It was on a Monday. I was infuriated with my wife. I was. I was walking down, I was walking down the road, not literally, but in, in the emotional sense. I was walking down the road, and I was infuriated, and I was speaking. Now, I wasn't yelling, but my tone was very stern, and uh, I meant business, and I was talking, and she wasn't saying hardly anything in return to me. Which that gets our goat because you're waiting on them to say something back stern so that you can get the rodeo started. But she wasn't. So I just continued talking and was stern and reiterating all this stuff. And some time went by and I'd let, you know, a man's brain is, can only say so much. He only has so many words. She has a whole lot more and she's damning them all up. And I don't know how she was doing it. But, but I mellowed out. And sooner or later we come to the thing. I said, you, you didn't even say anything. She says, because I knew there wasn't a thing I said right then that would help this conversation one bit. And you know what? That thing was dissolved and nothing, in no time flat. She didn't even give me a, well, she gave a few soft answers. She didn't raise her voice or wasn't stern. She just gave a few soft answers. But most, more than not, she just didn't say anything. You know what? That thing dissolved a whole lot quicker than if she returned wrath for wrath. Amen. Proverbs 12, 18. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. But the tongue of the wise is health. In other words, Solomon says, speech that wounds is like a sword. But a wise man's speech brings health. Angry, wrathful speech is wounding. Good speech is healing. It's health. Amen. So speak in normal and respectful and loving tones and you'll, you'll have better chances. I ain't saying it's going to eliminate everything, but you'll have better chances at not being the offender. Number four, listen first to understand, then seek to be understood. Listen first to understand, then seek to be understood. Proverbs 18 and verse 13 says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is a folly and shame unto him. Talk's going on. And you're formulating a response in your mouth. Because you're not going to be taken off guard with your guard down. But while you're doing that, you're really not listening to what they have to say. For that matter, you're formulating your mind. You already know where that person is going. Amen. We do this in our marriages. We do it with our kids. We do. Do it with our kids. Start to answer a question before we know the whole question. Start to address a problem before we've heard it completely out. And whenever we do that, you know what? We say something and then the response is, that's not even what I was talking about. And you know what you feel like? An idiot. Folly, shame, they're like a fool. Because sometimes, you know, you even cut them off before you finish and then you go on your tirade for five minutes and then the response is back, what are you even talking about? What are you talking about? Somebody's giving me some laughter here that sounds like maybe you can identify with what I'm saying here this evening. James 1 verse 19, the scripture says, and I got a lot of scripture. I'm kind of touching and going just a few comments here and there. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to, everybody, slow to, slow to, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Again, back in our James series, I think I shared with us all that, you know, there's a reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth. We need to listen twice as much as we talk quick to hear and slow to speak amen and many times when we offend we get that backwards we're quick to talk and slow to hear amen we want to be swift to speak and slow to hear but listen we cannot speak or return in a conversation or communication we cannot speak with understanding everyone say understanding, understanding. cannot speak with understanding unless we have stopped and listened Bible says in Proverbs 18 2 in the King James Version a fool everybody note the word fool 
hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. The Amplified Bible reads it as this, a self-confident fool has no delight in understanding, but only in revealing his personal opinions and himself. God's Word says it like this, translation, a fool does not find joy in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. That's where we're at really many times. We, have, we, want, to get, we want to put our two cents on the table. Amen. But again, I admonish you, first, first listen to understand and then seek to be understood. Number five, don't, listen, number five, if you're taking notes, don't share everything you think and feel. Some things are left better unsaid. Just because you thought it, just because you felt it, doesn't mean you got to blabber it. Or even body language it, for that matter. Proverbs 29 and verse 11 in the King James says, A fool, everybody note the word fool, uttereth all his mind. Phew, Lord help him. But a wise man keepeth it in till afterwards. The message Bible states it like this, a fool lets it all hang out, but a sage quietly mulls it over. God's word states it like this, a fool expresses all his emotions. I kind of like that one. But a wise person controls them. <laughs> I mean, they just express all their emotions. Sometimes that expression is not just with what they say, but how they say and the hand gestures that go along with it. It really takes what you say to another dimension when the hand gestures are there. Today's English version says, stupid people express their anger openly. But sensible people are patient and hold it back. It said stupid, it did. So don't share everything you think and feel. Some things are better left unsaid. Number six, and don't get your coat, I'm not done. Good place to get a drink of water. This is a long one. This is kind of like... I just tabled a bunch of them in number six rather than just breaking them up in individual ones. So number six might stand for like six through ten, I don't know. Listen, to, to, to keep or, or prohibit perhaps from being an offender, refrain from tail-bearing, gossiping, backbiting, and being a busybody. In essence, remove your part. I'm going to be here just for a little while. Proverbs 20 and verse 3. The Bible says, It is an honor, an honor, for a man to seize from strife. But every fool, listen to me, will be meddling. It's, it's an honor. It's an honor for a man to seize from strife. But fools, they're going to be meddling in it all. Whenever you withdraw from an argument, disagreement, whatever you want to call it, or you don't engage even in a disagreement, you, you hear something going on, and you can already tell if you put your horse or your dog in that, it's going to get ugly. And so you don't put your dog or horse in it because you see where it can go. Whether it involves you or not, it's honorable for you to act in such a way. It's honorable for you to act in such a way. He says, fools meddle. Fools meddle. The word busybody, the Greek word busybody, means this. One who takes the supervision of affairs pertaining to others in no wise to himself a meddler in other men's affairs. That's the Greek rendition of a busybody. There are only three places in Scripture, listen to me, 
where the word busybody or a form of the word busybody is used in Scripture. Now, listen, I don't know one to crucify me about what I'm about ready to say. But in only one instance of the three is it ever directly tied to a gender or a position of life. And that's in the book of 1 Timothy 5. The word busybody is tied to, listen to me, the female gender and to the position of someone being a widow. I want you to hear the word of the Lord tonight. Because young widows, it was particularly young widows, were prone to be in busybodies. People who had lost their husbands at an early time in life were prone to be in busybodies. And as a result of it, the Apostle Paul recommended that these young women, having lost their husband to death, should marry again. And that that young lady should marry, he said, you look at it in 1 Timothy 5, 11 through 16, she should marry, she should have children, she should guide and care for the house. Why? Because it will consume some of her idleness. And perhaps it will help her from being a busybody. Now again, I'm not getting on a big platform, but I'll get on a small one. Busybody, people getting in other people's affairs, I'm not saying it's always the female, but I'm saying more times than not, it's of the female gender. And also I have found it, and I'm just going based off my experiences being around church, it has been oftentimes people that are widows. Well, that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? You've got to go over here to the high rise. Case in point, we're dismissed. Let's take up an offering. <laughs> Being the supervisor of other people's affairs. Well, do you know what's happened to so-and-so? Do you know what's going on in that matter? I tell you what I know. I've been keeping up on it. This is what she said, and he said that, and this. There are people around here who knows more what's going on around here than I know what's going on around here. And that's perfectly fine. Keep it to yourself. If you want to spend all your days keeping, you know, the apostolic church, they've done away with watching soap operas. They just create their own. They're like, we're each week to see what the young and restless do, and they just stay up on everybody else's life in reality. For that fact, and I listened to your sermon Sunday night, Brother Mason, I did all the editing, it's on podcasts. But he, he just made a brief mention concerning reality TV programs. Let me tell you, reality TV has ruined America. Because it's fed the problem of many offenders. People that have a tendency toward many reality TV programs, I dare to say, in just my opinion, they like to be up in other people's business. The bad, the good, the ugly. It piques their interest. In so much... Sometimes people will go to great lengths to find or learn information. It's one thing for a deposit to be made and just in passing something happens and you glean information just happens, but it's another thing to go looking for. Is somebody hearing me right now? It's one thing for you just to be at the wrong place at the wrong time and you overhear something. And it's another thing to make phone calls, make text messages, try to Facebook somebody and find out some more information that's none of your business to begin with. If you want to be an offender, keep on doing that stuff. You want to hurt somebody, keep on doing that stuff. But if you'd rather not, keep out of it. Keep out of it. I said something a few months ago on Twitter, but this is not that statement, but if you're an actor or actress in every drama that arises, but you want to pawn that off as somebody else's problem, you got a victim mentality. Some offenders deal with a victim's mentality because if they can keep on blaming that it was somebody else's fault, somebody else's doings, then they don't ever have to deal with their real personal problem they got themselves. The problem of getting other people's business when they don't need to be in their business. 
Some people just need to grab the idea, you know what, I have a problem to be in the thick of people's business. I like to know what's going on. So be careful around those type of folk because they're always looking for a scapegoat for their offense because it for sure can't be them. Yet every time drama takes place, their name comes up. How is that? And they are so innocent. I was framed. I say, baloney be to Jesus. I'm being picked on. I say, baloney be to Jesus. Refrain from being a tailbearer. A tailbearer in the Hebrew means an informer. Battery probably died. An informer, a whisperer, a chatter. Refrain from being that. <sighs> Proverbs 11, verse 13, the Bible says, A tale bearer revealeth secrets. Oh my Lord, what else do we need to say? A tale bearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. What is it? They have some secrets they could reveal, but they keep them concealed. Please don't make a tell. Please don't tell any tell bearer something that you want in confidence. You know the greatest curse for the tell bearer. God called him to be a pastor, a pastor's wife. Ooh, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost. Proverbs twenty verse nineteen: He that goeth about as a tell bearer revealeth secrets. Therefore. Meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. What are you saying? Because some people's flattery with lips is just to get information so they have a tale to tell. Let me tell you, if someone never found any other interest in your life until you start going through something or some headache start happening in your life, they're not trying to just be empathizing and sympathetic. If they've never paid one day's attention to you any other time until there was trouble in your life and then they're inquiring, watch out. We got a chatter on our hands. We got an informer on our hands. You know, they're just like every, every week they have a due date like the newspaper every day. Maybe if they don't have a file, you know, then it's just not good. They can't live up to the reputation. Tailbearers are offenders. And if you want to abstain from offending in that regard, don't flatter someone with a concern. So they'll spill all of your personal situations to everybody else. If someone does share something with you, keep that confidence. Keep that, conceal the matter. Amen. Conceal the matter. Be a fa of a faithful spirit and conceal the matter. So we'll be more, we'll be more successful at not offending if we keep our mouth shut. And this, this bears, and, and I've found this to be true, and this bears telling. You know, if someone, and it, I, I, we've, we've heard this before, but let me reiterate. If someone is willing to talk to you about somebody else, then they're willing to talk to you to somebody, about you to somebody else. Hands down. Hands down. Hands down. So to everybody else, again, be cautious if someone is concerned about you. And that's the only time that they've ever been concerned about you. <laughs> Here is, and I, I want to do this tonight, and I want to preface this. This has been some time back. This was a Facebook post, but I deemed it good to share it tonight. And it's from somebody here in our church. Uh, there's been times things have come up on Facebook, and me or my wife and I or whatever, we've had to make phone calls in order for stuff to be taken off Facebook. So I'm going to talk about something that's on Facebook that's good, all right? Now, with that being said, whoever this belongs to, now everybody go put them up on a pedestal and start looking at them through glass eyes at their glass house waiting for them to fall now. Because that's what we do when we put people on pedestals. Instead of then continue trying to find the good that they have, we're eager to find the negative. So please don't do this to this person. Okay? But this person wrote, I'll even just leave it anonymous. If you've seen it, you've seen it. If you didn't, you didn't. Wah, wah. It said, I wonder sometimes why just people in general feel the need to talk about others in a bad gossiping fashion. I figure there are the good and the bad talkers. 
The bad will, they like to tell everything they think they know or may know and may even stretch the story so it sounds worse than what it is. Bad gossip type of people. They want people to know that they were the first that knew what was going on and you didn't know. To them, they, I think they get like a high off it or something. Then you have the good ones that are just truly concerned about someone will ask in general about a person. If you tell that type of person just to pray for them, they will, they will with no other question ask. They just see the need and they'll take it to God. So think on these statements and decide which one are you. Change us, O oh God, to be like you. So if I understood stood this appropriately, there's some people, again, that will inquire to get information so that if they're ever around somebody and it comes up or they bring it up, they can be like they were the first to know. They knew something you did not know. And I agree with this writer in saying that there is a euphoric high that comes with knowledge that you think nobody else has. And then if I understand the writer correctly, then other people can, can just take observation and notice something and inquire. And they don't even have to be told any detail. They can just be told, yes, they need prayer right now. And they're not going to ask or prod or dig or even have to go somewhere else where one of their sources are. But they'll just take it to God in prayer because the all-knowing God already knows all the details. I like that. Proverbs 22 and verse 10. The Bible says, cast out the scorner and contention." shall go out yea strife and reproach shall cease now look there is a lot that's contingent here on the scorner if you get the scorner cast out contention strife and reproach is gone so one of the ways then to deal with contention one of the ways to deal with strife one of the way to deal with reproach is you got to identify who the scorner is Because if you address the scorner, the other matters will cease. Because what I found myself sometimes, Bishop, in my lifetime, is I've tried to somehow fix and deal with the contentions. And sometimes try to deal with the reproaches. And sometimes deal with the strife. And I'm working a 24, 48-hour day trying to do that when what I really need to try to do is find the scorner. Because if I take care of the scorner, I'll have the contention taken care of. If I take care of the scorner, I'll have the reproach. I'll have the strife. All these things taken care of. The Bible, the, 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 the definition of a scorner is this, a despiser, a mocker, a disrespectful one. Here is a driving point right here, what a scorner is. Acts as an interpreter. In other words, more particularly, this individual construes everything into the worst. The interpretation is usually slided on the negative side or the bad side. Acts as an interpreter. And thus from false or improper interpretation comes contention and strife and reproach. The Bible in Proverbs 26, 20, you got time to hang with me. We're going out with a bang. Fifth week, it's over after this. Everybody can go. <gasps> Proverbs 26, 20. And we, we hit this several weeks ago. Where no wood is, the fire goeth out. So where there is no tail bearer, the strife ceaseth. Again, remove, remove the fuel, don't feed the fire, and it'll go out. Amen. And yes, sometimes you have to remove the offender. The interpret. Sometimes you have to remove the scorner. The one that is bent on negative interpretation from the situation. Amen. That's causing nothing but strife. Lewis Martin Jr. said it like this. He said, drama is usually connected to a person. So if you want the soaps to stop, fire the cast. Amen. Drama dies real quick if there's no people playing the parts. Amen. Oh, glory. This has just about been fun today. <laughs> This is no, in all seriousness, though, these are practical ways to try to lessen the probability of us being the offenders. The principle is found, and these scriptures won't be up there, but I'll run through this last little bit very quickly. 
The principle is found in Romans 12, 18, that if it be possible as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Because the Christian's desire should be to be at peace with all. Because we want God's, God's truth to be taught, that Christ would be seen in the life, amen, of Christians. That involves our actions. That involves our words. Anything like that would, that would unnecessarily uh, offend others. You can go on and stand with me uh, just as we come here to a close. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, 3, he said, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Again, this is also uh, the underlying principle behind avoiding actions that cause someone else to do something that they believe is sinful. Also, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, 32, he said, give none offense, neither to the Jew nor to the Gentile nor to the church of God. And it was in this particular context of these passages that the offense was a matter of personal preference that he was speaking about. That would cause an individual to sin or reject the gospel. So the Christian must live in a way that avoids unnecessary offenses. Crossing swords of personal preferences. That's a reason why in New Testament scripture there was sometimes that whenever meat was set before them they did not eat it because there was a brother that was in their scenario that did not partake of that. And so they were not going to cause an offense over personal preference. We ought to do the same. We've got to do the same as a church, not to cause offense over personal preference. And I'm not just talking to one another. We can be offensive to the world because we're pushing commandments of men rather than commandments of God. And that's when they got in trouble whenever they were teaching traditions that were the commandments of men that were being propagated more so than the commandments of God. Now, you do fine and well with the commandments of God, but when you take personal preference of your life or anybody else's for that matter and make that dogma and law, you'll cause offense. Amen. So keep in mind just a few of these things of how we can keep from or safeguard ourselves from being the offender. We all offend. You're going to be offended, and you will offend again. But if we can go in with our eyes wide open and learn how to better not be the offender and better how not to take up offense, then although we all do it, maybe we can lessen the injunctions that we do do it. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads in this place this evening. Hallelujah. God, I come to you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.